Well, it's nice to be with you tonight. It's nice to be back. I've been away for a little while. And um, my name is Ollie Benyon. I'm the associate vicar. And it's just good to see your, your friendly faces, mostly. Uh, so anyway, it's nice to be. Anyway, um, do keep that passage open, uh, Luke 14. I'm going to pray for us as we, as we start. Lord, we thank you for your word. And I hope, help us all to, to hear it. Maybe we've heard the story many times. Maybe this is the first time. Help us to hear it. Uh, as you intended it to be. Help us all to be uh, able to receive what you have spoke, uh, have for us today. In your name, amen. Well, when I was um, uh, a young lad, maybe about 11, um, uh, one thing I found particularly challenging was family dinners. I don't know when if you have memories of family dinners. Well, it's not that I didn't enjoy being around my family. I very much do, uh, and I still do. Uh, The problem I had is always knowing what to say around the family dinner table. Now, the family, my family is very loud and quite opinionated family. And being six years younger, I was the youngest, six years younger than my brother, um, what a slight mistake, and 11 to my sister um, put me at a significant disadvantage around the dinner table, especially when the only conversation my, my, my father would tend to instigate was around the subjects of politics, religion, and relationships. Everything else seemed to bore him. And I didn't know much about politics, age 11. I still owned a Bible that had lovely pictures in it and that entertained me. And I just squirmed at the idea of dating and relationships. And so there was a significant disadvantage for me. And everyone around the dinner table, they all had their views, and they could articulate them with great authority. And I I would just sit there silently, hoping no one would turn to me and ask my opinion on anything. And I like to think it was because I was just waiting for the opportune moment, because I was being a deep thinker, and just waiting for that moment to just just help the conversation with some profound thought. But the reality was I just hadn't got a clue what they were on about. And I thought it's best to keep quiet, maybe making kind of agreeing nods and sounds to whoever was making the loudest noise or gesture of the evening. Well, our passage starts today by Jesus being invited to a meal. We didn't read that little bit of the passage, but that's the context of it. Jesus has been invited to a meal. Now, this was no relaxed meal where you could sit down and talk about the latest sports results or the the latest fashion haircut or how terrible the weather's been this last week. This was a meal where the conversations like weather were highly unlikely. This was probably the ancient day equivalent to my family dinners. And the the religious leaders were eager to hear Jesus' views on politics, on religion, and possibly, though not in the text, on relationships. They wanted to know his views on the coming kingdom. You know, what he believed would happen when God broke uh, through into history. Now, there were many different views at that time of what would happen. And one of these pictures was a, a Masonic banquet in, uh, that we see in Isaiah 25. And in that, it says, On that day, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats, and the finest of wines. And it's of that banquet that this man in verse 15 was probably thinking about. 
One where he and the other Jews would be able to dine at the Lord's table. So, you know, would Jesus shy away? Would he keep quiet, just agreeing with his host, keeping the status quo? So they're just saying what they wanted to say, which was probably, you know, oh, that we may keep the law exactly the way it is. So when that great day comes, we and those like me and exactly like me will be counted worthy to sit with the Messiah and all true believers at his banquet. That's what they were hoping Jesus was going to say. But they were not aware that they were already sitting with the Messiah. He was right in front of them. And he knew better than anyone what that great day was going to look like. So he went ahead and he told them, as he does on, often on many occasions, a parable. He says this, a certain man... Verse 16, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. And at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. The first thing I just want us to remember and note about this passage and know tonight is there is a banquet ready to be enjoyed. You know, the, the host, you know, got this first bit right. You know, Jesus describes the future kingdom of God as a banquet. You know, a great feast to be enjoyed. Now, a number of years ago, I remember my wife asking, I was asking my wife what she wanted to do on her, on her 30th birthday. And I, you know, I thought I want to do something special, romantic, maybe you know, a romantic dinner out for the two of us. Maybe you get a couple friends and obviously still go out for dinner because someone else could do the cooking. And then... What she asked was a Babette's feast. Now, this is Cambridge. People may know what a Babette's feast is, but I hadn't got a clue what a Babette's feast was. And uh, I soon discovered that a Babette's feast comes from a French movie in the 1980s sometime, and it's a film that shows a meal that involves seven courses of exceptional French food. And for her, this would be the perfect way to celebrate this landmark of a birthday, eating her favorite food, uh, and not with just me, because, no, why bother? Why not just invite 50-odd friends as well? You know, I admit, I was terrified at the prospect of planning such an event. So I did the only sensible thing I could muster in my mind, and I asked her to cook the food and sought the decorations, which she did with great gusto, and I was so proud of her. And everyone uh, enjoyed themselves. The food was exquisite. There was lots of laughter, and it was a wonderful success. The only person who probably didn't enjoy himself was, was the cook. Now, Jesus describes heaven being like a banquet, and it's a great, a great feast, but it's not one that we have to organize and cook for or, or even delegate for or plan for. Because God is the host, and he has prepared everything for us. This is a banquet for us to enjoy. And it will be even greater than anything the French can think up. You know, if you take anything from this passage, let it be that heaven is something that we can get excited about. And if our future is full of hope and is full of joy, then we can live today in that knowledge and be joyful about that future. Uh, uh, even great 
theologians, though, have not always understood this simple point of, of living with joy and hope and enthusiasm at kind of our faith today. Um, Alexander Bruce, who was a Scottish theologian in the 1800s, said this, that you could not conceive of the child Jesus playing games when he was a boy or smiling when he was a man. Well, that's not the Jesus that I know. Even great, the great John Wesley made this mistake. He said he founded a school near Bristol and he made a rule that no games were to be allowed in the school or the grounds because he who plays when he is a child will play when he is a man. No, 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 no. We don't need any more lifeless, dull Christians in the world. Okay? In fact, I would argue that it's near impossible to be a Christian and to be lifeless and dull. It's just not possible because the Holy Spirit, having a relationship with Jesus, just brings life, doesn't it? You know, you look around here and you just see there is life in this place. There are many people who walk in our doors and look at the back and they see, wow, there is life here. It's impossible not to be a, to be a Christian and not to have life. The fruit of the Spirit doesn't have the words gloomy or glum. It has the words like love, joy, kindness. And that, folks, is what's on offer today. And it's going to be a completely different level when we get into heaven. So this is something for us to celebrate. And that is exactly this picture that we see in this picture of the banquet in Isaiah 25 that uh, this, the host was probably speaking about. Of when, when, uh, and when it says God will, will swallow up death forever. This is the future. Uh, the, uh, the sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove the disgrace of his people from all the earth. In that day they will say, surely this is our God. We trusted in him. And he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. If you don't know the joy of the Lord this evening, then why not take some time asking the Holy Spirit to excite you about this heavenly banquet that is on offer, which we discover in this parable is available to everyone. And that's the next thing I want to be looking at. An invitation is given. That's what the parable is talking about, an invitation that is given. Now, to understand this parable, it is helpful for us to know the etiquette of how a feast uh, would were to be hosted and enjoyed by guests. Uh, by the guests. And in traditional Middle Eastern village, the host of a uh, banquet would invite a group of friends uh, by sending out an invitation in advance, and, uh, which would state the day of the banquet, but not the time. Now, I recently, only a few months ago, got sent a wedding invitation that stated the time of the wedding, but not the date. That is a serious faux pas, uh, especially when it involved me getting in a plane. Um, <clears throat> The host in this parable hadn't made an invitational error because this was part of the custom. You know, he would re receive the replies and, and depending on how many responses he got back, he would determine how much food he would prepare and how much he, he would need to serve. And it, when it came to the day of the banquet, the animals would be butchered, the feast would be prepared, and then he would send out his servant around the village and, he would, and they would say, come. For everything 
is now ready. Now, I like that. That is great catering. You know, a nice, relaxed starting time, isn't it? Removes all the stress of hosting. I'm ready when I'm ready. Now, we have something similar today. This is not all, you know, this is not just history. This, we have something similar. If you're not used to dinner party etiquette, then prepare yourself. I'm going to teach you how, how it's done. Take notes. When you get invited to dinner, you can, you can practice anytime. You, 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 re, you reply to the invitation. That's the first thing you do. That's the first thing I would do. And then when the day comes, you arrive and you are welcomed with smiley hosts. You come in. This is a moment where you could bring a gift. It's often enjoyed if you bring a little gift here. And you take a seat in some kind of seating waiting area where if you have particularly good hosts, they will provide some snacks and nibbles and drinks and things like that, olives and things like that. And, um, and you just keep you happy for a while. And finally, when everything is ready, your host will say those wonderful words. We all know them very well. The food is on the table. Come and eat. Yes. And then you walk to the table hoping that it's a food that you like. And then you sit down and you look at the food and you always say the food is delicious after the first few mouthfuls. You don't grab the salt and pepper too soon. And then you enjoy the rest of the evening. Now, that's how it's done, folks. Imagine, if you, if, if you would, a scene in which the guests have arrived and they're seated in that living area, eating the nibbles, having the drinks, maybe enjoying, you know, just a little conversation. And then when the moment comes, the host comes and says, the food is on the table, come and eat. And they then start making really lame excuses and head to the door. The first says, after all this rain, um, my, my, the grass has grown very quickly and the sun's out. I must go and mow it while I can. The second blurts out, I just bought myself a cat and I must make sure it's still alive. <laughs> and then the third says, you know, there are bills on my desk. I need to go and pay and then, to the shock of the host, they walk out, quite lightly taking their gifts with them. And when we read this passage, we need to read their excuses of the, of the banquet as poor, as insulting as these ones. Because often when we read it, we can think, oh, they're pretty good excuses. Yeah, I, I, that's a good reason. They are rubbish reasons, folks. You know, the first man says he's just bought a field and needs to go and see it. You know, the equivalent of this today was me calling my wife Lois and saying that I'll be late for dinner because I've just bought a house over the phone. I've done all the paperwork. I've signed the check. And now I need to go over and see it for the first time. You know, that wouldn't make any sense because you go and see it before you buy it. The excuse is ridiculous. And by giving such poor excuses, the guests are just deliberately insulting the host. And the rest of the excuses are just insulting. You know, I've just got myself a new oxen. I need to go and try it out. Or I've got myself married. You know what I mean? I just need to go and... That's just wrong. Okay, it's just <laughs> bad excuses. Jesus was speaking this parable as a warning to his hosts and at the Jews who were going to reject God's invitation. Anyone who was going to reject God's invitation who were... Who were already God's chosen people. But the lessons learned here are just as true today for us. You know, don't let the busyness of life, busyness of work, busyness, uh, the, the temptation of maybe new possessions or even marriage become an excuse 
to put off accepting this invitation that Jesus is offering each of us for everything else that we do in life, if it's not to give Jesus glory, it's, it's pointless in comparison. So what does the host do when he's told the news? In verse 21, then the owner of the house became angry. Who wouldn't become angry? What does he do with his anger? Does he kick over the table? Does he, does he like lock the doors? Does he feed his food to the dogs? Well, no, he shows incredible, amazing grace. Verse 21, he tells his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. See, the first group of people that this banquet is opened up to are the outcasts of Jewish society. They're the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. You see, in the mind of Jesus' listeners, they were not worthy to take part in this feast, for they were sinners. They'd messed up. They made too many mistakes. But the doors of the banquet just got flung open to them because And because they knew what they were missing out on, they were Jews, they knew what was missing out on, they gladly, they gladly came in. But the servant came back saying, there was still room. And no one likes going to a party when there's only kind of half full. And God's kingdom is not going to be one of those awkward parties. Okay, just to encourage you there. So he tells the servants, go out into the highways, into the hedges, and compel people to enter, that my house may be full. You know, the doors were not just open to the outcast Jews, but now to those outside of those city gates, to the Gentiles, to people quite like you and me. And the master tells the servant, to compel them to come in. Now these words have often been misunderstood over the centuries and have caused much suffering within God's church. You know, the Spanish Inquisition, for example, used this text to, to, to justify its brutalities as a way to coerce people into the Christian faith. But this is not a command to force people into the kingdom and to make, uh, you know, make them suffer the consequences if they, if they refused. What Jesus is telling those outside of God's chosen people, is telling us is those outside of God's chosen people are going to find it hard believing this is something that is available to them. So they're going to quite likely need some convincing. Now, if you got a, a letter from the Queen saying that it's only been you know, a week since the last state visit banquet, and she really enjoyed the last one. So she is going to get the red carpets out again, but this time you are going to be the honored guest. Well, you might quite likely find that hard to believe, that, and you might need some convincing that it's true. In last week, if you were here, we had some baptisms, and one of the candidates spoke about how he used to be skeptical about the Christian faith. But then he met some Christians. He saw how they lived out their lives. And uh, they answered some of his questions. And he said they managed to persuade him to go to church, then to go to the Alpha course, then to come to the student nights. And then, and then before he knows it, he was in a time of worship and things just clicked and he felt the presence of God. He was fully convinced. You know, he needed to be compelled into taking up the offer of a banquet because he didn't, 
even know that there was even a, it was even available to him. On the first look, you know, Jesus' grace, Jesus' gospel is just unbelievable. But what is on offer today? But that it is that. It is his grace. It is on offer to every single one. There are no limitations who this invitation is given to. No matter your upbringing, your class, or how you've lived your life, or your ethnic group, whatever it is, it does make no difference. We all have been given a free, free invitation. Why? Well, it's because of Jesus. You know, his life, his death, and his resurrection. He is the only way that any of us get this incredible free gift, this free invitation. And with all invitations, a response is required. And that's what I want to finish with. Just a response is required. When um, Lois and I um, were planning to get married about 12 years ago, we, um, we were sending out our, our planning to you know, send out our wedding invitations. And uh, because my wife was French, uh, we thought we'd try and to, you know, make a little bit of French-English thing. And so we decided to send out all the, the wedding invitations in French, even though that we were getting married in England. And some people, uh, you know, th- this caused quite a lot of crumbs. This is interesting. And some people who received the invites, you know, you know like those in the parable, you know, they spoke fluent French. And uh, they understood the invite, but they were too busy with life. Maybe they thought they would get a better offer around that date. And so they decided not to come. Clearly, they had no idea how good this wedding was going to be. Anyway, um, others, they received this invitation. They may have like a GCSE in French. And so they could get by and get the overall gist. and, And they were just overjoyed that they'd been invited by such a wonderful couple. And so without delay, like, yes, I'm there. And they sent the invitations in with a big yes, please. And then the final group, they look at this invitation and they just didn't understand it. And maybe they didn't have anyone who could explain what all these funny words meant. So, you know, and, and they either had a, a choice to make, didn't they? they either they, they, they go and find out or maybe they ask someone to explain it, what I did. And, um, or or they, they put it aside and they just forget about it. Everyone gets the same invitation And we were all required to reply. If you don't understand the invitation of what it means to follow Jesus, then just just ask. Just ask someone to explain it to you. It brings great joy. What a privilege it is to be able to explain to you uh, about Jesus. Doing nothing will mean you won't be able to go and will miss out on this incredible party in heaven, which I'm reliably informed will be even better than my wedding that none of you came to. And um, this is not also one banquet party, uh, you know, above, um, among many others. There is no point waiting to see if something better will come around the horizon, because it, it won't. For life without Jesus will ultimately just end in disaster, end in destruction. A member of our congregation was uh, telling me um, that his father, who was critically ill and had always rejected this invitation to follow Jesus, even though it was presented to him a number of times, he said two months before his father died, um, his, his son 
who was obviously concerned for his father's eternal future, asked you know, if he would follow Jesus. And his father, as he'd done so many times before, said, you know, oh. he said, no, I'm, I'm not going to. You know, his, he said his rational brain, he just couldn't understand it. Two days before uh, he died, his son asked again if he knew where he was going once he died. And but this time, his father said, hey, let, let's just chat about it later. And then his son, he wrote to me and told me what happened next. He said this, a couple days later, at about six o'clock, I was sitting with him in his room in silence and had an overwhelming sense that the time was right to ask him to make a commitment. I asked him whether he believed in Jesus, and he said, yes, very firmly. And with a strong sense of conviction that contrasted with what most of his speech by that stage, which was labored and somber. I told him I wanted to say a prayer out loud, which I wanted him to repeat in his head if he was happy to do so. He agreed. So I prayed a simple prayer, acknowledging Jesus as my dad's Lord and Savior, asking for forgiveness for his sins, and committing however much of his life was left to Christ. After the prayer, my dad was very quiet, and with his eyes closed, uh, after the prayer, sorry, my dad was very quiet, and with his eyes closed, so I asked him whether he believed what we just prayed, and he nodded silently. Six hours later, my dad died. And my dad was 78 years, three weeks, and four days old when he passed away. And he didn't accept the invitation until he was 78 years, three weeks, three days, and 18 hours old. As long as you have breath in your lungs, this invitation is still available to us all. 